0: into Mark. If you've got your Bible, uh, jump into Mark with me. We'll be reading from Mark 16. Uh, you've got this in the New Testament. If you get to Proverbs or Psalm, just keep going. Uh, if you get to Matthew, Mark, you'll be there. So there we go. If you've got on your phone, it's easier Just look for the word Mark, click on it, and we'll be there. That's how I roll normally. So we've got that. So uh, Jonathan spoke on Good Friday about the death of Jesus and um, all that that contained. And today we're looking at, three days later, what happens three days later? Good Friday happens, and the reality is if we don't move on three days, there's nothing spectacular that happened apart from man died on a cross, which in the Roman times was a common occurrence. Yes. That is not significant until three days later comes. If three days later doesn't come, nothing changes. Three days later, something happened, and I'd love to read it to you from Mark 16, 1 to 8, and it says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that a stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the transformation moment in the story. This is what makes his death different from everyone else's death. It isn't the fact that he just died on a cross that we celebrate, that would be unusual. What we celebrate truly is that three days later, people went to his tomb and it was empty. And there is so much stuff I'd love to talk to you about, the significance of an empty tomb. There's so much stuff I'd like to talk to you about, why that is so important, and why that is so um, important to our faith in terms of why would the tomb be empty. But there's something else I want to talk to you today, and it's this line that literally, since the moment I read it, has not stopped echoing in my mind. Would you like me to preach that message or another one? Preach it. Preach it, ah good. At least one of you wants it. If you, I am asking everyone today to take note of this. If you write it on your phone or in your notebook, write this down. It's in Mark 16, 1-8, and it says this. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? No matter who you are, just write it down on your phone. Take it as a note. WhatsApp yourself? Uh, whatever you need to do, write that down. Because I want you to have that with you for the rest of this journey, for the next four hours of preaching. So I don't need to forget that. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb. If you've got your phone, you just copy and paste it. It takes two seconds. That's, that's why I use my phone so much. Who will roll away the stone? And I find this, when I read it, I've read this passage hundreds of times, and that line literally just stuck out on the page of me, and for the whole time I've been preparing this message, that is the line that's been resonating in my heart to share with you today. Who will roll away this stone? Now I want us to jump into another part of the Bible, so we're going to be jumping into Luke. Uh, If you get to Matthew and you're in Mark, just keep going a little bit longer. You'll be Matthew, Mark, and then you'll be in Luke, so we're all there together. So if you're in Luke, jump to, uh, we'll be reading from 18, and we to be reading a lot, okay? So please, stick with me. Uh, So we're in Luke 18, and I want us to take this here because I find this one of the most significant Uh, parable telling parts that Jesus does and I think if we pull some stuff out of this we'll get some answers to our deep question of who will roll away this stone so we'll jump straight into uh, Luke 18 and we're reading from 1 to 8 to start with are we ready for that? no one is ready for that (laughs) good one day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. I'm sure we know lots of people like that in our life. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. Don't you think God will surely give you justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will we keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But the Son of Man returns. How many will he find on earth who have faith? Parable one. I've got children. Who here has had children? Yeah. We all know that verse better than anyone. If you're a parent in this place, you've got a special grace right now. We know the persistent nagging of a child. This morning, on the way to church, me and Emma were running late, and we were just getting out of the house, and we got in the car, and we were stressed. And we're like, okay, AJ can vouch for this, because I texted him saying I'm running late. And we get in the car, we run to the shop, we forgot nappies for the baby, get nappies for the baby, and then this noise starts. Daddy, have you got my monkey? (laughs) <laughs> what do you think the answer to that question was? <laughs> it was no For the next five minutes While I ever went to the shops And came back I was sitting in the car With a child strapped into the back Who could not get out Going "Danny, where's my monkey? Where is he? I want him I'm not going to church I'm not leaving this place And I was like ah, I'd like to start off with I was like No we are I am being strong We are not going home We are not getting the monkey No matter what you say You're not getting it Three minutes in, I'm like, I'll do anything, just be quiet. <laughs> we'll be four hours late for church. If you'll stop, we'll get you the monkey, and it will all be okay. So we went home, and we got the monkey. And you know what happens to Malachi? I got my monkey, now. I'm happy. And it all changed in an instant. Because the reality is, even in those moments, this parable is pointing out that even unjust judges, who doesn't fear God, who doesn't love people, even they, when being nagged, will give in. We've already done that to people. Just nag, 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 nag. And they're like, whatever. Just, if you would stop nagging, have whatever you want, because I need my peace. <laughs> and the point of this is saying, if that's what unjust judges like, if we declare that God is a loving father, he's drawing this contrast that saying, well, God is different to that. Because in the Bible, the God we talk about is a God of love and mercy and grace. And if we're praying to him, What would he be like when he responds to our prayers? So we get to this first thing, and we'll put out a few things each of these. So the first verse I want us all to remember is this verse. Good, it worked. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Each of these parables ends with a great line, just in case you're trying to skip ahead of me. We're going to go into the next parable. We're going to be reading the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. A Pharisee is just a religious leader, for those of you who are wondering. I've never heard that word before. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. I'm going to pause there. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. And He says this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, or a great religious leader at the time and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all of my money. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, that sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Last week, uh, when we were before the service, I was praying. I really felt this Bible verse to share. I didn't realise I was going to be preaching exactly on this Bible verse this week. Uh, This only came out this week. Uh, and this by verse is literally two guys going to a temple To make themselves right with God But one's like, I'm great, I'm perfect I'm good, I'm good Jesus, I'm here, I'm good, I'm perfect The other guy walks in going Oh, God, I've just messed up I'm just a sinner Oh God, without you, I need you The other guy's going to God like, Basically, God, I don't even need you I am so good right now I am doing everything right And the other guy, oh God. Without you, I'm just, I know who I am. I'm not deceiving myself, I know who I am. I think sometimes, sometimes, maybe just sometimes, we might be a little bit like the Pharisees Christians. I'm just going to put that out there. I think sometimes when the world looks at us, and they see us walking down the street, what they think first is, I could never be like that. They're just too perfect, they're just too nice They're just too proud And then that's why we have to talk Because then when we sit with people and they say I could never come to church, I could never be a Christian I'm not like you And we say, do you want to know the secret? I'm not perfect Do you want to hear my story? I'm not perfect So the verse we're taking out of the end of this parable Is this verse For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. We'll move on to the next. It's just in order, so it's quite easy. Uh, The rich man. Oh no! Sorry, sorry. Skip ahead. We missed the children. We read Jesus blesses the children. Now this is from 15 to 17. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples saw this, and they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to his disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Like... If I'm taking my kid to Jesus, I'm hoping he's going to babysit them for a little bit, so I can get a bit of a break, and go in there and thinking, oh, if I could just get like the love of a parent, if I can just get Jesus to touch my kid, because I've seen him touch adults and heal them, I've seen him touch people and just transform their lives. If maybe he could just touch my kid, because I love them so much, so I want them to be different. I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be. If Jesus could just touch them and they're like getting the courage up, and like if you've got kids, you know how hard it is to get your kids somewhere. It's not easy, it's not like, our kids will go and see Jesus and they're like, oh yeah, cool, we'll go. No, you're like, come on, we've just got to see Jesus. And you get there and you're like, I can see him, he's there. And I'm just, kids, come on, come on, you're with dad. And then the disciples just, Whoop. no injury, sorry guys, not today. <laughs> but I've, I've come so far. I've had to bring kids with me. Do you know how much pain that is? How much stuff I've had to pack? How much food I've had to prepare? They're going to be so upset. But No. The disciples there, no entries, sorry, not today, guys. But Jesus, I can just imagine it sitting there, having a chat, looking up and thinking to himself, what are they doing? Like, come on, guys, what are you doing? And then he calls out that famous verse. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And he'd be back to, he wouldn't just be saying that, like, quietly, because he wasn't, like, next to them. That's why there's an exclamation mark. He's like, yo, yo! It's okay. They can come in. It's all right. And so the children come to him. And in this verse, the verse we want to pull out is the last verse yet again. And it's this amazing verse. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This is a very perplexing Bible verse. We'll take a little bit of explaining in a minute. Who wants to guess what the last parable I'm going to read is? No one. The rich man. If you're a rich man here today, you are very welcome. If you're a poor man, you're just as welcome. There is no difference. I love this, just this discourse that happens. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's one of the greatest questions that anyone could ever ask. And i would encourage you and all your friends to ask that question. Because, like I say all the time, there's two guarantees in life. One is you're born, and one is you're going to die. How much time have you even spent investigating the biggest part of your life? Eternity. That's why the rich man's there. He's rich because he's wise. He's done clever things in his life. And he to himself, actually, I've already budgeted my money. I've financed. I've worked it out. I've got staff. I'm working all this stuff out. And actually, I want to work out what's <coughs> happening after I die. So this rich guy comes to him and says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus always asking questions. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your mother and father. The man replied, I've obeyed all of these since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said this there is still one thing you have not done. Sell all your possessions, give away all your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I can't imagine a person walking away more disappointed or more frustrated in that moment. be Like, what? No, not that. Any, anything else. You can, I'll give 20%. I'll follow you. Just not that. All of us have had a just not that in our salvation story. I'll give you all of this. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but what about that? We're like, what? I quite, I need that. I find my comfort, my security in that. I, just not that. This Bible verse is not telling us that everyone who becomes a Christian should sell everything they have and give it to the poor. Jesus is challenging in him the thing that is holding him the most. Which is he finding his identity, security and acceptance in his financial position, not in his spiritual position. Also, I believe this guy is a liar. Because <laughs> I believe if he was really honest with Jesus, was like, actually, all those things you said, I've done them. But Jesus goes on to say this. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said... How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible for God. Sorry, what is impossible for people is possible for God. Peter said, We left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brother or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, I will repay many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. This is such a great Bible verse. (coughs) And the verse we're going to steal from this at the end of it is this. Those who heard this said, Who in the world can be saved? They're all sitting there going, and like, you can hear some really smart talks about the eye of a needle. There is lots of debate and question around what this might mean. My opinion in talking and studying this with lots of people is this. It's impossible. (laughs) The only way you can get a camel for the eye of a needle, you can't. You just can't. It's impossible. That's the point. That's why he says at the end, what is impossible for people. He was making an an impossible statement. So everyone will be looking at it being like, Yeah, you know what? It is impossible to get a camera with the eye of an Jesus. He's like, exactly. And I think all of us, then everyone's just going, but Jesus, then who could ever possibly be saved? There's no way any of us can get in. Because yeah, I haven't got a lot of money, but there's no way I'm getting in either. Because it's impossible. How? And when we put these... uh, each of these key points that summarise each of the parables together, what we actually get is the answer to our first question, which is, who can roll away this stone? But the son of man returns, how many times will he find faith? Faith. The first thing we need to have, to have the stone rolled away in our life, is faith. Faith that God is just. Faith in God. That's what I love about that verse. Then we move on to Matthew 18. We need to have faith. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. We need to have an honest opinion of where we are truly at. The tax collector came in going, yeah, I'm a sinner. Because when you know who you truly are, then you can have the solution to your problem. You don't just go to the garage with your car and he says, what's wrong with it and you go, haha. <laughs> the guy will be like, there's probably nothing wrong with your car. <laughs> what are you doing, you lunatic? No, the guy goes to the mechanic and he says, oh, my car broke, what's wrong with it? Oh, it's not turning over, it's probably the alternator. He doesn't just take it there and go, see you later. No, he's honest about what's wrong with his car because when you're honest about the problem, what do you get when you get someone on the problem, they give you the solution. solution. So the first man who's not humble, he goes in and goes, I'm fine. I don't need no help. I'm a Pharisee. I give 10% of everything I earn. I am good. Then Jesus is going, I can't give you the answer then. But the humble man, the man who says, you know what, I'm the worst of the worst. The dirtiest sinner. No one loves me. No one likes me. I'm um, I'm a Roman convertee from the Jewish faith. And I take taxes from everyone in this place. I am the most hated person in here. There's no way I'm getting in. Save me, Jesus. There's no way I'm getting in. God, justify me. Jesus says, "You know the problem. Guess what? I got the solution." The next place we need to move to is being humble and actually realizing our own place. And every Christian who you ever meet had to get to that place, being like, "I am a sinner." Then we move on to this amazing bold verse. I tell you the truth: anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So we've got you. Got to have faith. You've got to be humble and accept the position you are truly at. then Jesus can start to give you the solution. And what happens in these parables is Jesus is now giving us the solution. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child never entered. Deeply complicated. When, you, when I first read that when I was 17. I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't understand. And I it seemed like a kid simply. I it seemed like a kid nagging. I it seemed like a kid screaming. I was like, I don't know what it means. And what I realised was it's really, really simple. You get your inheritance not because you're Jewish. it. You don't get your inheritance because you earned it. You don't get your inheritance because of any other reason than that you are blood related to your father. Kids inherit what their parents have. The only way you get the kingdom of God is by inheriting it from your father. By being part of his bloodline. You inherit the kingdom of God not because of anything you've done. You don't inherit the kingdom of God because you can buy it. You don't inherit the kingdom of God for any other reason than the fact that we believe Jesus, by his blood, has made a way for me to be part of that family, by paying the full price, that now I can inherit it. Because, the, uh, I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. If you're trying to earn your way in, you ain't getting in. Trying to buy your way in, you ain't getting in. If you can just, oh, I could just do this, if I could just be better, if I could just find a way, Jesus right here saying, the only way you get in is inheritance. The only way you get inheritance is being related to me. The only way you're related to me is by following me and believing in me and trusting in me. Then we get to Luke 18, 26 to 26. Oh, that's not a correct quotation. Uh, Those who heard this said, then who in the world could be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Therefore, we've got here that Jesus even in is saying, it is impossible for people to save yourself. He's really making it clear here at the end. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. He's saying you need faith. You need to believe there's a problem with you. That there is still in your life. And that just means the things we do wrong. Then we need to realise that we can't earn our way in, we can't buy our way in, it's an inheritance by believing that he's died for us. And then we move on to Luke saying, yeah, you're right, it is impossible for you. Just as it is, is impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It is just as impossible for you. The only way in is we start again. Faith. The only way in is confessing what we've done wrong. The only way in is by actually inheriting it. Because guess what? Just because case you haven't got it, it's impossible for you to get in any other way. That set of parables is literally phenomenal. I can imagine the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus going through and writing out these Gospels and going, how did we miss it? How didn't we know he was telling us all the time? It's all in there. Every but at the end of those sentences gives us a clue to the truth. And if you don't believe it, I want to turn to what Jonathan spoke to us about The Criminals on the Cross on Good Friday. And if you missed that message, I would urge you to watch it. It will be on YouTube by Monday. Uh, But this is where we move to next. is this verse here. One of the criminals, hanging beside him, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even you have been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to absolutely rip this verse apart into some key components. Component one. Remember what we just spoke about. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Being a Christian for 15 years, I have had many people say stuff like that to me. If you're a Christian, if God is real. Because if it was happening to Jesus in the moment he was dying, I can guarantee it's going to happen to you on your tea break. And we shouldn't be shocked by it. Because that guy hanging on the cross is literally just about to die. He is terrified. And he is lashing out at the people closest to him. At that time, it's Jesus and another criminal. But on the other side of Jesus was this other guy. But the other criminal protested. That word is like, should really make us be like, in his last moments, he's like, oh, come on, I'm I'm protesting. It's not just like a little sitting back, hanging on his cross, hanging out. Like when we think of protests in London, we don't just think passive, sitting back, relaxed. No, it's active. It's like, raw. this guy protested. Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? Don't you fear, why would he fear God? I don't understand. What's he saying about Jesus? One guy saying, this guy over here, he ain't no Messiah. The other guy on the other side, by his statement, is making some very unusual declaration about what's happening right now. Because he's now saying, relating God to this man in the middle. He's saying, don't you even fear God? Why would he fear God if he was just another criminal dying with us? He's saying it because he's pointing to something. He's pointing to the fact that this guy is different from us. Then we come to this verse 41. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Who does that remind you of, who we just read about? Oh, I'm just a dirty, awful tax collector, God. ah, oh, God, I know who I am. And what does the criminal say? Jesus, I know who I am. I deserve this. He ain't hiding, He ain't pretending. He's saying, I know who I am. I know what I've done wrong. I know I deserve this. This man, he doesn't. What's he doing? He's being that tax collector in the temple. God, I know that I've done wrong. Then we move on to this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know how many people have died in their life and turned to the person next to them dying and say, when you get into your kingdom, mate, can I come in? No, he's making a declaration here. He's saying that, Jesus, we're all about to die and I can feel myself dying. I can feel my life draining out of me. I know the end is near and I know that it's not gonna end any other way apart from death. But what he's saying about Jesus here is, Jesus, you're on the cross next to me, just as crucified as I am, but you're not going to die You're going to a kingdom, a declaration. And Jesus replied, and I love this, I absolutely love this. I cannot imagine any greater comfort in the universe than hearing these words. I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Each of those parables I read literally links to one of these key statements. The first thing the criminal on the cross does is believe Jesus is not just a man, but he starts to start to make the declaration that this guy is different from us, that he is God and the Savior. He moves on to then repent. His humility to accept he's done wrong and he confesses it. That I am a criminal. I have done wrong. I deserve to die. Confession right there, even on the cross. Then he starts to make a public, a public confession in Jesus' resurrection and his conquering of death. Because even at the moment, dying on the cross, he's making a declaration out loud for everyone who's watching him to be humiliated. Saying, I believe this guy next to me, he ain't dying. He's going to a kingdom to be a king. Yes. And when he gets there, I want to be there with him. Yes. I don't know when you confessed your faith, but I wasn't doing it hanging on a cross for everyone to see. Hanging naked and being whipped and stripped. No, he hung there and even in his dying moments, he had enough about him to realise, I'm confessing what I've done wrong and I'm declaring that this guy next to me is different from anyone else I've ever met or ever known because this guy is going to a kingdom and when he gets there, I don't want to be in the other place. I want to be in the kingdom of a king. I want to be with him because in this moment right now, I've seen hundreds of criminals die and he is dying differently. He's asking to forgive these people and I know In that moment, could you just imagine it that everyone on looking going, what are these criminals doing? Why are they talking to each other? Because what they know in that moment is Jesus is making a way that there's a kingdom they can get into. And all they have to do is believe that Jesus was God. All they have to do is humble enough to say, you know what, I am a sinner. All they have to do is confess that Jesus, you know what, I believe there's a kingdom coming and would you let me in. And the greatest thing ever happens at the end of that walk through, at the end of those parables, of each of those conclusions, what we come to is this, is an assurance a salvation will come to you. Which is this, I assure you today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not the day you die. Heaven is not a place we get to. It's a place we live in right now. A living relationship with Jesus. And he says, I assure you today, right now, that you'll be with me in paradise. I can tell you this. The day I became a Christian, that's what I found to be true. The day I said to Jesus, I want you in my life. He didn't say, that's great, Ben. I love you, mate. 60 years time, when you die, you'll be in paradise with me. Live this rough, tough, hard life with the knocks you got, mate. And when you get to the end of it, I've got a ticket for you to get in. No. Jesus says, Ben, I know that you know I'm the saviour. I know that you're with the saviour, you've done stuff wrong. I know that you've confessed, that you believe that i rose again, and there's a kingdom I can get into. And guess what, Ben? Right here, right now, I'm going to come and live in your heart. I'm going to be with you no matter where you go, no matter what you do. I am with you from this day until the day you meet me in eternity, because I'm with you for this journey. It blows my mind because on that day when I met Jesus I had a love that has never been taken away a peace that's never been stolen a joy that's never been rocked has there been hard days oh my goodness there has been ask any Christian in the room if they had a perfect life they'll tell you no and they'll tell you every story but I can tell you this that their God got them through it Their God walked through the storm Their God became a rock that they could stand on that would never be moved or shook yeah and there are hard times in that but God will never leave you or forsake you because on the day he says you'll be in paradise the storm will rage around you But you can stand with your Jesus and be like, ah, you've got this. I don't know how we're going to do it, because this looks pretty bleak. But God, you've got this. An assurance of salvation. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Who will roll away the stone? No man. No Roman emperor. No king. Only Jesus. (coughs) For what is impossible for man. It's possible with God. We need to accept that Jesus was God. We need to be humble enough to say you know what I know I'm a dirty sinner and I've done so much stuff wrong. We have to confess that Jesus died and rose again and he is now in a kingdom seated at the right hand of the Father and then we'll have an assurance in that moment of salvation forever. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you're thinking ah and this is such a great message, like, yeah, Jesus has moved the stone, I'm saved. My question to you is this, what stone is Jesus trying to roll away on you today? Because you were saved then, but Jesus isn't done with you. Because there are places in our life that are like a tomb, that are dead, that a stone is in front of and we don't want to let Jesus in. And we say, Jesus, you've got me, but not this grave. Jesus, you've got me, but not this grave. Jesus, you've got me, but not this grave. And our God says today, guys, what is it? Who will roll away the stone of your sickness? Who will roll away the stone of your depression? Who will roll away the stone of brokenness? Who will roll away the stone of broken relationships? Who will roll away all of the stones that you think are immovable? And when we give them to Jesus, what we start to realise is when we approach the tomb that we thought could never be fixed, the stone is gone if you're not here a Christian today, and you're sitting there going, oh, I just just can't believe this for myself, I would challenge you in all of your being to enter into it, engage with it, talk about it, chat about it, stay in the room, but I don't want to move. I want to know if this is true. Because you know what? I don't want to be the other criminal. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't get in. I want to be the guy who says, I'm here. God, I know who I am. I know I've done wrong. I need you. I'm humble enough to accept it. And in that moment, Jesus will meet you where you are. God, I just pray for every single person in this room. For every Christian, that louder than ever before, your voice be heard saying, what that grave is that needs to have the stone rolled away. And like those women approaching the tomb, that we would choose to approach it, we would choose to walk towards it. And we choose to see that you truly are who you say you are. That a stone has been rolled away. For everyone in there who doesn't know you, who isn't a Christian, who's exploring their faith, who's trying to decide what they believe and what they don't believe. Lord, may they hear your voice like the criminal on the cross saying, here I am. And then may they receive that assurance of salvation today. Lord, as we walk through that process of saying, God, I believe you are God. God, I believe I'm a sinner. And God, I believe your death on a cross was more than enough to pay for me to have full, 100% acceptance. And today I can have an assurance of paradise. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this amazing Easter Sunday. May we experience your presence like never before. And may we transform the world we live in as we live out your love to every single person we meet. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.